Assalamu alaikum sisters and welcome to Real Muslima Talk. I'm your host Um Abdurrahman and on this podcast we'll pull back the curtains, take down the barriers and have raw, insightful and honest conversations on living as a Muslima in our modern society. We'll discuss everything from spirituality to mental health, from marriage to growth and much much more. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a coffee and let's have a heart to heart here on Real Muslima Talk. If you enjoy the podcast, head over to our Instagram page at Real Muslima Talk and join the conversation. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. On today's episode, we will be discussing a very taboo yet very important topic and that is divorce with a lovely sister who has been through the experience herself and uh, inshallah we'll be discussing as much as we can about it because there are many sisters who are either going through it or have been through it and they're currently dealing with the after effects and it's important that we discuss this because at the end of the day Allah doesn't shy away from discussing this in the Quran uh, you know there were incidents amongst the sahaba where divorce occurred and uh, they didn't shy away from that either so i think it's important that we discuss this as well so um without further ado welcome sister naima tell us uh you have been in a situation where you know you found yourself divorced um was this after a period of uh, a long period of marriage or a short period of marriage or how long was it uh, well, I was married for 10 and a half years. And um, so so just over a decade. Wow, mashallah. That's, yeah, that's a fair bit of time, actually. So um, what, like, was it something that happened all of a sudden? Or was it something that was building up over time? Um, was it something that was agreed mutually? Or was it one-sided? Uh, I th- Well statistically speaking most divorces don't just like they're not like an overnight thing right it's something like that the person has been contemplating often for years and um, actually a lot of the studies say about five to seven years um, if it's a long-term marriage right Um, so for me um, the the issue of divorce it wasn't like all of a sudden and I would hope that people don't um, come to like decide to get divorced all of a sudden, right? Unless it's something that, you know, is is completely like unavoidable. Like for example, if somebody, you know, has something that they didn't disclose, that would be different. But um, for me, it was um, something that I was thinking about, um, thinking about openly, meaning it's something that I had discussed with my ex-husband um due to like various uh differences that we had and um and in the end we decided to divorce um i don't think that it was necessarily a hundred percent mutual um but you know it was agreed upon okay okay um, so yeah, it's interesting that you say that it's not something that happens overnight. It's actually five to seven years, as you said. But I know of marriages where they last for like a year and then it ends up in divorce. So what about cases like that? Well, I can't speak to every single marriage, right? But um, 
I'm talking about long-term marriages and a long-term marriage. Like you see, there's people that have been married for 20 years and they get divorced. Typically that is something that was being contemplated on unless there's a huge infarction, like infidelity, for example, or something big happens. But um, for shorter marriages, um, there's various reasons why people get divorced. And one thing I think is that um, there's not enough due diligence prior to the marriage, right? So people might be madly in love, they get married and they wake up and they realize the person who they thought they were marrying is not, doesn't fit the image that they had in their head. Um, or, you know, they discover something grave about the other person. Um, or like, there's just a lot of friction. And, you know, when you get married, it's, a, it's both an individual thing and it's both a, a communal thing. And so there's a lot of forces that act upon a marriage, right? So there's family, there's community, there's like the general society. And so, um, you know, sometimes people are just not happy to see two people together and they put a lot of negative influence in the marriage. So there's various reasons why things don't work out. But with shorter marriages, um, what I've noticed is that there just wasn't um, enough due diligence prior to. So they might have not discussed um, core values. They might not have discussed, you know, where they see themselves going down the line and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. SubhanAllah. You know, just uh, prior to this episode, I have actually been doing a couple of episodes on marriage. And we started off talking about, you know, actually, number one, preparing yourself for marriage. And then, uh, you know, when you're discussing with your partner, with your prospect, what kind of things to discuss. And now with the information that's available, you know, out there with regards to inner child healing and, you know, um, attachment styles and values and different different nuances which people don't really uh you know they don't pay attention to when they're mm -hmm. in that whole phase of you know looking for someone because it's more like oh does this guy fit my criteria in terms of looks and finances and things like that and that's that then plays a key role in how your marriage plays out right right yeah okay so how how many years has it been since since the divorce Okay, so, um, you know, like in, in, in America um, and in like Muslim terms, I guess, it's like kind of complicated, right? So my um, actual, I guess, see, I don't even know where to count sometimes. So October 2019, okay. um, October 2019 was the Talak and then the Idda ended in January. And... Um, and so it's been about a year and a half, let's say, roughly. Now, legally, we are still going through the legal process of being divorced. Mm, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So it's been a year and a half since uh, the actual, you know, Islamically, the breakdown. Right. Right? Yeah. So uh, tell us, it, because there may be sisters who don't know how it works. So the, is it that the man gives one divorce and then wait a period of time and how does the idda work and just tell us a little bit about that sure i mean well in my case you know my husband granted me a talaq and so uh you know he pronounced the divorce and um he didn't revoke it within my idda period 
And so that basically, you know, completes the divorce when your idda is over. Um, and so I think a lot of people, like when it comes to divorce education, um, yeah. we don't realize that like during your idda period, you're still married and you have to wait for that period to end um, to be officially divorced. Uh, yeah, if it's revoked during that time, and there's different opinions about, you know, how the, how, how the uh, talaq can be revoked. Um, but if it's revoked during that time, um, you're married and, you know, he would have to then pronounce the talaq again. Um, or you guys can reconcile, you know what I mean? It, 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 it varies. I know some people who um, during the idda period, you know, they realize that they, they didn't really want to go through with this and they reconcile, which is an ideal situation. You know, it's better to keep the families together. And other people know, and some men, um, they pronounce all of their divorces at once. I'm not exactly sure. So there's different opinions again, um, if that counts as one or as three. Um, but in my case, I, I just had one. Okay, okay. So um, you went through the, the full idda, um, and then after that, you moved out. Were you still living with your husband in that time? Okay, so here's another um, thing. I, I don't necessarily want to give all of my, you know, personal. Um, yeah, yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. But um, so what I'll share is that um, my husband at the time did not spend the idda with me. So about two weeks after, um, he left and so I spent the idda in our marital home and I still reside there and he got his he got an apartment okay okay makes sense so um were the children involved yes so I have two children um and so and so they reside with me full time okay so now how did that work did you discuss that beforehand um how, how the whole children aspect was going to work yeah, so um, we did discuss it, and um, and what I want to, I guess, what I want to convey is that, you know, just like with everything else in life, you plan, right? And Allah's plan is already like set in motion, and then you know, there's like other factors that come in, right? And so, um, you know, we discussed certain things, we planned and uh things change you know and so you can't necessarily always stick to the plan but you know we adjust yeah yeah so uh currently um do your children see their father on a like weekly basis monthly basis how does it work um again my situation is a little bit complicated in that um you know their father decided to move across country um and you know COVID. So yeah. um, initially, the way it was set up was that they were going to see their dad every other weekend, and then when he decided to move, that wasn't possible anymore. And so um, they spend you know half of the summer with their dad, and like uh, they're going to spend inshallah. I mean, it it hasn't happened yet. Things are still new, but um, inshallah they'll spend either spring or winter break with him. Okay, okay. So uh, tell us, like, when you got divorced, when you were in your idda, how did you feel, like, 
mentally, spiritually, everything, physically, how how was it for you? How did you process it? How Tell us how it was for you. Because I know uh, some women, you know, they go through a lot of like, um, I mean, it is it is something that I feel, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, like it takes more of a toll on the woman at times because the woman has to, you know, then go through the whole Igda period and everything as opposed to the man who can just move on. You know what I mean? Right. Um, okay, so there's like multi layers to this question. Um, you know, even as you just like mentioned the Idda period, um, for me, my Idda was unique in that my husband didn't spend it with me, you know? And uh, it, this is like actually something that kind of pains me in that like I had asked him, and, and that's the woman's right. Like I wanna um, emphasize that like, for the women that are listening, if you're going through a divorce, the idda is for you. You know what I mean? It's not um, It's not like a way to kind of like punish the woman. It's to give her a soft landing, right? Because to just go from being married to divorce is a very difficult transition. Those three months that you have is to give you a soft landing, right? Your husband is still providing for you fully as he should be, you know, if he is, you know, of upright moral character. Um, you know, you still have like some semblance of a in, you know, of a like, I guess, like a a normal, complete family life. Even if you don't have that intimacy, you still have that person that's, you know, coming home every day. So you see them. So it's like a soft landing instead of going, one day we're married, the next day we're divorced and that's it, everything's cut. Um, and so for me, where I would have loved to have spent, you know, my the, um, in my, in my ex-husband's company, um, I didn't get that and so, you know, my experience will probably be a little bit different from everybody else's. Um, but I, I do encourage people that like, if they're going through an idda or if, you know, if they're thinking about divorce, that to use the idda to, uh, to not fight and to not bicker and to just uh, try as best as you can to keep um, a, peaceful, a peaceful break as much as possible. Um, and to not like, if it's done, the time will pass and that'll be fine. But if there's room for reconciliation, you know, which we always hope for, um, work on that. You know what I mean? Work on being, doing something different than you did in the marriage. Um, you know, if you, if you weren't warm towards your spouse, work on being warm. And if in the end it doesn't work out still, and at least you can walk away saying, I tried my best. I did everything. Um, in terms of addressing um, the transition, you know, that was quite difficult. And, um, you know, you know, I describe it as like, you have two souls that come together and they become one, you know, in essence, in that we're completing each other's deficiency, right? So now we're mm -hmm. like one body. And now to just get divorced, it's not a clean cut. It's like the way you pull cotton apart from each other, right? These two souls that are like intertwined with one another, they don't just separate and go their separate ways. It's like a slow pull, you know? And so there is so much pain involved. And, and you know, I don't, 
I, I understand the privilege of divorce because that's what it is. It's a privilege. Um, and I understand the necessity of divorce, but I always encourage people to know that, you know, what you're gaining from a divorce has to be greater than, you know, maybe what you want in the marriage and you don't have. People need to understand that divorce is not a light matter. Um, and when you go through it, there's going to be so much pain and not just pain. Uh, you're going to encounter a lot of fitna and you have to really be prepared for that. You need to kind of take a look at your life outside of your marriage and say, can I handle this? And is it really better for me to leave what I have already established and go um, and and go without being married, go without a partner, go without a spouse. And I, I know also that um, some women, especially because women are more vulnerable in divorce, but some women don't have a choice. You know, their husband gives them to luck and that's it. They weren't mm -hmm. consulted. Um, that's just it. It's done. And so I, my heart really goes out to women in that very vulnerable situation. But if you, you know, if you discuss it and you have a say, it's really important for both parties to kind of project their life and say, uh, if I never get married again, did I still make the right choice? Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm just taking that in. Um, SubhanAllah, you know, I think that especially when I got married, uh, when I, I was at, I was 19, right? And um, having been like, my parents have been divorced. So having been in that situation and I saw how both have moved on, you know, with their lives and, you know, now so many years later, how things are, I think you don't fully grasp how it's like, especially in the beginning, like, you know, for, for a person who's going through that. And like you said, the pain that's involved because over time, you know, the, yes, the pain, you know, kind of numbs and um, life takes over. And so I think I kind of didn't really feel like it's that much of a big deal, you know, because I wasn't I, I wasn't present to see the, the rawness of it all. You know what I mean? So hearing that from your perspective, I think it just, um, yeah, it really opens my eyes to, to this whole thing. Um, so, yeah, tell us, was your, um, uh, so, sorry, how, how did you deal with how did you deal with that then? Like, just how did you co comfort yourself and deal with that? Did you have family support? Did you have community support? How was it like for you in that time? Um, okay, so I do have family support. My family was really supportive. You know, my father was really supportive. Um, my friends were supportive. And so that was like really like a nyatma, like to just have... Um, a really solid support system. And I know that like, Alhamdulillah, that was a blessing because so many people like divorce is so taboo that so many people don't have the support of their families or their communities. And so like, I did have the support of my family and friends. Um, and I also, you know, I also started writing to kind of process some of my pain mm -hmm. and, um, and that actually led me to publishing, you know, a book um, oh, yeah. talking about my divorce and 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 some other things that happened in the year 2020. Um, but so that's how I that's how I dealt with a, a lot of the pain. 
And I do want to also bring something up that we don't really talk about, especially as women, in that uh, women, we cycle, right? Our menstrual cycle, um, it's, it's about a 28 to 32 day cycle. And in that cycle, there's four different phases, right? And so whenever there's heavy trauma, whenever there's stress um, on the female body, our cycle, um, our cycle takes these hormonal hits, right? And so um, it's really important that a woman going through any type of huge traumatic experience um, really understands that the hormonal aspect and the, the chemical aspect going on in her body um, can be dangerous. And so yeah. if you notice like these heavy mood swings, if you not notice suicidal ideations that accompany, you know, your period, uh, it it's really important to see a therapist or to see a physician about that. Um, I experienced, um, I experienced some, some, you know, hormonal fluctuations. And with that came uh, like different, um, you know, sadness and all that stuff. And I, I was able to kind of pinpoint and say, oh, this is hormonal because it was following a pattern. You know what I mean? When I was in this part of my uh, menstrual, like when I was in this part of my phase, I would have these feelings. And when I was in this part of my phase, I would have this these feelings. And so um, you're in the period because you're already tracking your periods. Uh, it's a good time to just keep an eye on your moods. And if you have a calendar, you can kind of write down your moods um, each day in your calendar. And if you notice a pattern, that's hormonal. And so you you might want to talk to somebody. Right. That's Jazakallah khair for bringing that up. Um, I definitely think that, yeah, that's overlooked. Um, even, even without it, just being married, like within, you know, or even without marriage, like the hormonal fluctuations that we have to deal with subhanallah is something else and yeah you know, it's quite intense at times um so imagine you putting a traumatic life event on top of that it'll just be yeah something else um yeah so what i'm curious to know now because it's been one and a half years and that's not not yet a long time you know so how how has it been? Like, how has the year gone by and how, how do you feel now? You know, um, and this is something I reflect on often looking back, you know, I've come such a long way, you know, um, in the beginning, it was quite difficult. And I would like describe myself as a bag of broken glass, um, where like, you know, any, any little jiggle and the glass kind of is like rubbing against each other there's no way you're not getting cut like any little mm -hmm. thing somebody would say something and i would feel so pained by it um now like the the glass structure is like kind of you know it's it's coming back in form and that's not to say that i was broken in any way i did have a broken heart um but it's not to say that i myself was broken but there were just so many sensitivities and so many triggers and um, and the lack of, you know, the lack of education in our communities also can be quite painful when people say things that, you know, 
might be inconsiderate to the other person that's dealing with, you know, a traumatic life event. Um, yeah. So I would say. Do you have an example? I'm sorry, do what? Do you have an example of like what people say that? Sure. Like, uh, you know, when you get divorced, you know, I, I remember like I was divorced for like a year and somebody was like, oh, would you consider a soul? And I'm like, you know, uh, to reconcile with my yeah. ex-husband. And I'm like, you know, thinking to myself, like, I'm so far past that now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so far past that. And it's like that other person is almost demonstrating a displeasure in the fact that you got divorced. Like, they want you to go back to what you left. And they don't know the nature of the reasons why you got divorced. You know, sometimes when we encourage people to get married, I mean, to get um, to to go back or to stay in a marriage, they don't know um, the fit and that that person is dealing with. And it would almost be like I could sit in front of a counselor and say, like, look, we have 10 different problems. The counselor has only saw like a, the very tip of the iceberg of the problems. Right. Because when you're trying to repair something, you don't want to destroy it either, right? You don't want to nitpick at every single thing that your spouse does if you're trying mm -hmm. to repair your marriage. Or um, just like certain things, like just you're a garment for your spouse. And um, and even while you're kind of breaking apart, you don't want to completely disrobe the other person. You want to keep their secrets a secret. You don't want to say like this and this and this happened. Um, and so you're trying to preserve, you know, you're trying to preserve their character. You're trying to preserve their secrets, their privacy, and all of those things. So it's really important, I think, for the for the person experiencing divorce to to uh, maintain their privacy and to be discreet. Because no matter what you give, uh, no matter what reason you give to the other person, if they're dead set on you know judging you or showing displeasure that you got divorced you giving them more information is not going to change their mind. So keep your privacy. That's your power. Um, and, um, and just be, just be mindful that like not everybody has good intentions for you, you know, mm -hmm. even in your divorce, some people just want to spread gossip, you know? So, yeah. so those are just things to be mindful of. Yeah, I think the gossip is very common, especially like people wanting to know, you know, why did this happen? Like, um, like what difference is it going to make to them if they know why this Absolutely. happened? You know. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I guess dealing with that is a whole nother aspect as well. So yeah, tell us uh, now, one year later, what are what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? How is it like? especially in comparison to, you know, when it first happened. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I don't regret my divorce, like not for one second. And I don't regret my marriage either. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, my thoughts are that, you know, you do heal, but it is difficult. And, um, you know, I, I have, there's a lot of exceptions here. And so I don't want, I don't necessarily want to say like, this is my story and for like kind of people to run with it um, because there are some exceptional situations here. Um, but I, I do want people to know that you can heal um, and that, you know, there's, there's hope, there's light, 
you know, it's been a year and a half, you know, what's going to happen next? I don't know. What, what I wish for is to remarry. Um, I, I always loved marriage. I loved the experience that I had in marriage. Um, but, you know, things just didn't work out. Um, and so I'm not like scarred from my marriage, I want to say. Like, it's not like, I'm not like, oh, you know, all men are X, Y, Z and like marriage is not good. Like, no, like I loved being a wife. I loved being married. And, um, you know, my marriage didn't last forever, but it was successful in those 10 and a half years that I was married. And I don't see it as a failure at all. Mm. SubhanAllah, that's amazing because I know there are a lot of women who, you know, look back and probably feel like, you know, what was the point of that whole just marrying that person, you know, let's say having children with them, you know, if it was going to result in this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that subhanAllah, you know, Allah has, he has written our story for us and we wouldn't be where we are today had it not been for that whole experience, you know? So like for you, for example, it was, it you, you had to go through a whole 10 years and then reach this, right? Um, for others, it could be five years, 20 years, you know, and don't ever think that that you know was an, uh, it was no point or there was nothing you know there was there was no point in that just because it resulted in that no in fact that whole experience just you know whether it was however however long you were in that marriage that in itself taught you a lot and it built you you know and um yeah it showed you um a lot of who who you are who you can be you know and it's very important like it's not in vain right yeah um yeah so tell us that you said now you you would like to remarry how do how do people know when they are ready to like move on and remarry like what what was your uh what what was your feeling like how did you know how did I know that I was ready? Yeah. Um, again, like I said, I'm a little bit, it's a little bit of an exceptional situation here, but I mean, what I think actually anyway, but um, for me, I was kind of almost ready to remarry like once my it ended um, okay. in that, um, in that I wasn't, I didn't love my husband anymore. Meaning I wasn't emotionally um, attached to him anymore. Um, and so I know a lot of people do struggle with that emotional attachment, like, oh, I still love him and this and that. For me, I didn't love him anymore. And so I would say that my heart was open. My heart was mm -hmm. open in that, like, I didn't have um, an emotional attachment or an emotional loyalty to somebody else. And I was kind of like fighting that and had to break it. Um, but in terms of like really, truly being ready, like mentally and stuff, um, I would say like after about nine months, I felt pretty, nine months to a year and I'm counting from October. So I'm counting from the beginning of my idda because, you know, I didn't spend that idda period with my husband. Yeah. And so he had already moved out and so I was already on my own. Um, and um, during that time, I was very, very mindful about focusing on healing. And so like, I did not watch any TV. I don't watch any TV till like still now. 
Um, I didn't, um, I didn't like talk to any brothers. I didn't, um, I didn't do a lot of different things. So, and I did a lot of reading, a lot of, you know, research um, so that I could heal. And the reason why I'm saying this is because um, a lot of times, you know, you get divorced and people tell you like, oh, you know, watch Netflix, watch TV, get your mind off of it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those distractions can um, cause you to avoid dealing with your pain. And you really need to sit in your feelings. You need to feel the shame. You need to feel the pain. You need to feel all of that um, so that you can kind of like just take it in and move on so that it doesn't come back later. And, you know, if it's a lot, if it's a lot to process, there's different mental exercises. You can change your thought instead of feeling your feelings. There's different things that you can do, but it's just really important to work on you know, what happened and to process that trauma instead of avoiding it. Um, and it's really important also to not numb. Um, and numbing is basically when we use something to block us from feeling overwhelming feelings. So that could be drugs, that can be, um, you know, television and social media, that could be sex, that could be alcohol. You know, there's so many different things that you can use to numb. Um, what I do encourage is self-soothing. And self-soothing is when you basically um, are calming down your hyper-activated nervous system. And ways that people self-soothe is uh, through touch, um, by you know hugging somebody else. Your nervous system can then be uh, um, deactivated um, yeah. through salah, through dhikr. Dhikr is very powerful um, in really calming down the nervous system. So I did all of those things. Um, you know, I had a weighted blanket to sleep to help um, with that, to help with touch. Because, you know, when you lose a spouse, there's so many things that you lose. And touch is one of those things. Um, and I also did horseback riding to, like, um, help reset my nervous system. Yeah. Well, mashallah. So there were a lot of tools and ways that you you used to actually help to heal yourself. And um, what about talk to us about how how was it for your children? Like, did you, how did you explain to them? How did how were they in how how did they go through it? I mean, for children, really, when you get divorced, like no matter how much pain you're in, your children are going to feel it the most, you know. And my children were quite young. Um, you know, what, one of my sons was nine and the other one was uh, three. And so at the time, and so um, the nine-year-olds understood. The three-year-olds didn't fully understand, but emotionally, he, he noticed a difference. Like he would say, mama, where's Abu? Where's Abu? And so sometimes he would have a hard time sleeping because he was like waiting for his dad to come home and his dad wasn't coming home. Um, they still, like, I, I remember in the beginning, like my children, especially the older one, he would talk to his dad on the phone and then he would say like, here, talk to mom, you know, like trying to like make mom and dad come together again. And sometimes they would just flat out say like, 
can you and Abu get together again, you know? Or he would tell his father that. And so, you know, a, ch a child is always gonna wish that their parents were together um, in a healthy situation, you know, provided that they didn't see something like horrendous, you're gonna always wish that their parents stayed together. That's every child's dream. Um, even though it's not possible in every family. Um, and so emotionally, it was difficult. I put my older one in therapy um, and I spoke to my younger one. And, you know, I, I told them too, like, part of it is just enjoy your father when you're with him and enjoy me when you're with me. And just because we're not all together living as one big happy family, it doesn't mean that your family's broken. It just means that you have to enjoy your mom and your dad separately. Um, and so these are really um, big and heavy topics for children to grasp. Yeah. But um, I think like age appropriate um, explanations to your kids um, and letting them know that no matter what, they're still loved and that it's not their fault. It's really important that children don't carry that burden of, oh, if I did this, my parents would still be together. Because children often internalize, I must have done something wrong, and that's why my parents aren't together. Um, and so you really want to tell your children and teach them that they had nothing to do with, um, you know, the dissolving of the marriage, and that they're still loved um, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you go about... Um... Like, I know because there are families where they talk, you know, negatively about their, their ex and obviously to their children because they're trying to, I don't know whether it's because they're trying to think that they're winning over their love or something like that. How, how, did, how do you deal with that? So that's called parental alienation, um, where one parent or both parents... Um, basically try to malign the character of the other one to try to gain favor. And I would say that, you know, it's really important to avoid that because that causes mental trauma to children. And at no point in time are they really thinking my mom is a bad person or my dad is a bad person. Instead, what they're thinking is I'm a bad person. And so, you know, despite whatever your differences are and how angry you are and he did this and she did that i highly discourage parents from talking to their children about those things there it's not for the children to manage the emotions of the parents and it's not for the children to choose a side you know um on top of that i think another thing that parents really need to be mindful of is that you might not be talking to your child you might just be talking on the phone, you might be talking to a family member, and you might be talking about your ex-spouse. Your children, if they're in the area, they're not only hearing you, but they're internalizing everything that you're saying. And so you really need to be mindful of um, what you say around your children, even when you're not talking to them. Mm. Yes, yes, indeed. Um... What about the, sometimes the parent is so consumed by, you know, the guilt that what have I done to my children's lives now? Uh, how do, how do you go about with that, doing, dealing with that? Again, these are really hard transitions. And that's why I, I tell people like, when you're married, 
before you get divorced, if you have a say in your divorce, and the reason why I say this, if you have a say in your divorce, I know that in America, this is a very foreign concept, but from an Islamic perspective, you know, a woman can be divorced without necessarily her say in the matter. And so if you have a say in your divorce um, and you want a divorce, it's really important to really, you know, do some mental projections and to think to yourself, how will this affect my children? What is our life going to look like? How will I be able to provide for X, Y, Z? What's going to happen if the other person gets remarried? All of these things, just try to, you know, just try to project into the future a little bit um, and then make a decision. So many people choose to wait until their kids are adults to get divorced. Um, and if, if you're able to live in a harmonious way, even if your marriage isn't ideal, that's not a bad, um, that's not a bad decision to make, especially because if, if the house is harmonious, the children benefit from having two parents under one roof. Um, more it's it's a more ideal situation than having one parent under one roof and the other parent under another um you know that's a natural state of 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 i guess um being married and having children now it's not always possible and what i would say is that divorce is not the ideal situation but sometimes it's the necessary situation. So if you make that decision, make sure you are making a necessary decision because your children will be affected. You might be able to move on, but your children will be affected. And so you basically have to decide that um, my children will benefit more from me being divorced than from being me being married. And that's a decision, you know, that's a hard decision to make. But if you yeah. know this, if you know your spouse and you know yourself, you can kind of project and say like, listen, I can't live with this person peacefully. Every time we're arguing. And if your children are seeing you guys argue all the time, that's a very unhealthy situation for them. So if you know um, straight off the bat that you cannot live in a harmonious way, even if your marriage isn't ideal, then, you know, you can make a healthy situation for your children um, after the divorce. You know, they say a, a child only needs one healthy parent. Is that ideal? I would say absolutely not. It's not ideal, but your children will be able to thrive and have, you know, a good life um, with one healthy parent. So if you have two healthy parents under two different roofs, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. Um you know what you said about them living together in a harmonious uh, manner, even though their marriage is, isn't ideal. I'm trying to think of how that would work because if your marriage isn't ideal, then I don't think there, I don't think there would be harmony, isn't it? Okay, so let me explain myself up further. Um, and this is also the concept of a soul, right? Um, a soul is basically like your marriage isn't ideal but you guys have some agreements whether they're spoken or unspoken and you guys kind of decide to stay together based on that so i would say an ideal situation an ideal marriage would be a husband and wife who respect and love one another um, there is physical intimacy emotional intimacy intellectual intimacy um, there is 
well-defined roles in the marriage. There's caring for one another. There's all of those things, right? That's an ideal marriage, right? We, we don't say perfect, but we say ideal. Most marriages are not ideal. Most marriages are decent. Decent in that I'm getting enough of my needs met that I can stay, but there's a lot of things that I would want and I either decided to compromise and forego those things or I can manage without them, okay? It's decent. Now, when we come into the realm of divorce, it's because there's either needs not getting met or whatever. Now, when I say live under the same roof in a harmonious way, um, but the marriage isn't ideal, here's what I mean. You might have two people that are married and they decide to stay for the kids. They each um, fulfill their role and responsibility towards the children, but there's no more physical intimacy. We don't touch, we don't kiss, we're not physically intimate. Some marriages, in fact, a lot more marriages than we think don't have physical intimacy, but they're friends. You know, the husband and wife are friends and they can live together peacefully. Uh, I would say that's not ideal, but it's hormones. You know what I mean? An ideal marriage has physical intimacy. Yeah. Um, another example is um, maybe the the husband and the wife, um, they don't, they don't, um, like they, their their finances might be separate. They don't communicate um, with each other very well, and so they decide like, look, I'm just here for the kids, and um, you know the stuff that you do, I don't want to know about it. But I'm willing to stay together and stay married for the children. And after we raise the children, then we'll make a decision about our marriage. They can live together peacefully. So the marriage might have a lot of different issues going on, but they put them aside and decide to live together in a harmonious way. Mm. Do you think that um, that would set a good example for the children? Like, because then the children would grow up seeing that, and I guess okay, they would so then start to accept that, okay, maybe this is just normal. And when they grow older and, you know, get married, then maybe they'll be okay with accepting that meaning because that's the only reality that they know. Okay. So it's really important to emphasize harmonious, like, you know, this means that the parent isn't enmeshed with the child. The parent isn't saying, you know, your dad always does this, your mom always does this, and they're still married. If it's harmonious, then the role of the parent is to be a parent and the role of the child is to be a child. The role of the child is not to parent to the parent. Um, and so the reason why I say harmonious is because, look, so many marriages, and, and, and I really want to emphasize this, so many marriages are not ideal, but they're harmonious. And for example, a child doesn't know if their parents are intimate or not. They don't know that. Um, if the parents agree that they're willing to forego that um, and just raise the children, then for all the child knows, my parents have a good marriage. And I would say so many um, parents that divorce after raising the kids, it comes as a shock to the children when they get divorced because they always thought their parents were fine. They didn't know because their parents were very good at focusing on the children and, and living in a harmonious way. Um, now, especially in today's day and age, um, and especially here in America, we would say, look, if, you're, if, you, if your marriage is not like this and this and this, 
don't stay for the kids. And I would say that, again, if you can live together harmoniously, it is better for the children. This is what the research shows. It is better for the children to stay together. If you can live harmoniously, if you can't, then it's better for you to, to walk separate ways. But harmony is a very, like, it's, I'm emphasizing the word harmony here. Yeah. Meaning yeah. you're not bickering, meaning you keep your differences to the side and you don't expose your children to that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, now you've now you've clarified. Okay, understood. Um, so tell us like about the your whole, you know, you're rebuilding yourself now and the self-esteem part, because I know a lot of women, you know, I mean, mashallah, you said that you were able to, you know, you didn't have that emotional attachment. Now with a lot of women, there is that. And with that comes a lot of other feelings like, you know, resentment, anger, uh, the feelings of self-worth, you know, diminish. And how do you work through that? Okay, so here's what I should say. Um, I wasn't emotionally attached anymore to um, my husband in that, like, I didn't love him but I did love being married and I loved being a wife. And so I had to grieve my marriage. And so when you go through grief, you go through those five stages, right? Um, denial, uh, depression, bargaining, uh, and then the final stage is acceptance. And so I, I went through those, um, I went through those different, um, stages of grief. And sometimes it's a cyclical thing, right? You come back to it, right? You felt angry then, you're not angry anymore. And then you know what, two months later you wake up and you're like, you know what, today I'm angry. And so you kind of cycle. Um, in terms of my self-esteem, you know, I kind of always, um, I, I would say with self-esteem, it's really important that you're able to manage your self-esteem. Um, I know people love this word, have high self-esteem. I'm not crazy about that. I think it's important to manage your self-esteem, meaning you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a, a day where you feel like, oh my God, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not that smart. I'm not that pretty. I'm not that this. Uh, if you have a, 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 a well-managed self-esteem, then you're able to kind of take a step back and say, you know what? these feelings are not an accurate portrayal of who I am as a person, right? Um, a person with low self-esteem might have those thoughts and they might persist and there's no thought to counteract it. So meaning I have, I, I, I'm having a bad day. I feel really ugly. I feel really dumb. I made a mistake and that's who I am. Um, and so it's really important to know that like these negative thoughts that we have First of all, some of them may be Shaykhlani, right? Um, and some of them, some of them may not be, some of them might just come from your nafs, but it's really important to not uh, self-identify with those, you know, negative, toxic thoughts. Um, and rebuilding yourself is a process, right? I don't know that we're ever done building ourselves, right? Healing is a process. Rebuilding yourself is a process. And, um, and all of those things take time. And I think that when we kind of go through something, we want the ease to come right away. We want this, like, we just want it to be like, okay, uh, I'm divorced, I'm moving on and that's it. And these things, like if you want something to be built well, 
you need to take your time. So you need to take your time with your healing. And it's in your healing. I remember one thought that I always had um, while I was going through what I was going through, like the emotional toll that it was taking. You know, people love to say, oh, it could have been worse, right? That's how they try to come for you. It could have been worse. And what I kept telling myself while I was going through everything was that it was worse and Allah's making it easier for you. It was worse, not it could have been worse, it was worse. And so where did I get that from? Because there's a hadith that where, um, you know, the Prophet says, and the meaning of in English um, is that like, if you remember Allah during your times of ease, Allah will remember you during times of hardship. And so I, I'm somebody that I'm like, if I'm having a good day or a bad day, I'm like, you know what? Just remember Allah and praise Allah and thank Allah because it could be so much worse. And sometimes what you think is hardship is actually ease in retrospect. And so I kept telling myself that like Allah's, Allah made this easier and he's making it easier because I remembered him during my times of ease. And so, you know, just kind of changing and reframing the way you think about things, the way you look at things, make it positive, make it work for you. Don't tear yourself down. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. I've had a lot of really dark, low moments. And, you know, sometimes Allah sends somebody to check on you. You know, sometimes, you know, a random person will leave you a comment on your social media page. And for them, it was nothing. And for you, it 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 lit up your whole day. You know what I mean? It gave you the strength to keep going. Um, and so, and so, if you're not in a hard, uh, like, if you're not in a hard position, if you're not in a tough spot, it's so important to check on people that are. It's so important to, you know, be a source of support and encouragement for somebody else. But if you are in that hard spot, um, the good days do come but also change your way of thinking and look at these moments as moments that are building blocks for, you know, your du'as getting answered. They're building blocks for you to experience and, and appreciate ease, right? Because if you're not hungry, then the food tastes regular. You know, it's just like, ah, uh, it was okay. If you're starving and you get a bowl of food, even if it's just white rice, that white rice is the best rice you've ever had in your life. It's the best meal you've ever had in your life. And so these moments of hardship, use them and think of it as like, Allah is making the Eids so much sweeter by making me experience this hardship. That just put shivers down my spine, subhanAllah, because that is definitely, definitely true. And uh, although it's very, very difficult, you know, in that moment, because I know I have people in my life that have been through it and are going through it. And it's really like, you can sit there and tell them, you know, definitely there will be ease after this, but it's very hard for them to actually internalize that because they're in like a really low place right now. And um, they just don't see it, you know? And um, yeah, I guess reframing it and thinking, you know, Allah is putting me, you know through this so i can the the when it does come when the when the ease comes it's much much sweeter so yes mm. uh going back to say, yeah sorry just quickly i will say this that if you're an outsider looking in right so the individual's job is to change their thoughts is to you know reprogram their their thoughts and to rewire them but if you're from the outside looking in 
sometimes the best way to support somebody is just to be next to them, is just to offer them your comfort and not to necessarily advise them. Um, and another thing that's really important for, for an outsider seeking to help somebody going through a difficult time is to validate them, to say, you know what? I know that you're going through a lot. I can see that this is really difficult for you. That validates their pain. Instead of um, trying to bypass it and say like, you know, kind of get over it already. What's the big deal? Get out of bed, get dressed, take a shower. Validate them first. And after you validate them, then you can advise them. But always kind of sit in their shoes first and say like, you know what? This looks really hard. I don't know how you do it. I would have collapsed already if I was in the same shoes. You know, stuff like that. Um, instead of like, you know, the ease is coming. Like, yes, inshallah, the ease is coming. But sit with that person in the in their pain for a second first and validate them so that they can move on quicker. Yeah, yeah. You just answered my question of how like we can support um, someone going through that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, in terms of like children, how do you place like boundaries with regards to like the contact and that? Because I know when it comes to like, of course, you know, children being involved, they say that both the parties will now for life have to, you know, well, not for life, but until they are, the children are old enough to deal with it themselves, both the parties will have to still be like, there will be some form of contact, you know, it's different when a couple divorced that don't have children. Uh, so how do, how do they place the boundaries uh, and not allow that to get in the way of like, now this new reality. So I, I mean, and again, I, I might not be the best person to ask about this, but I very strongly challenge the concept of co-parenting. And mm -hmm. I think that what I can say for myself is that if I could co-parent with my ex-husband, I would have stayed married, right? Because if I could have co-parented effectively, to me, like I said, the marriage might not be ideal, but you can kind of keep that harmonious situation in the house. To me, if you really have a volatile situation coming into a divorce, most likely you won't be able to co-parent. Um, the expectations are, are very high. Co-parenting is an, is an ideal situation in like a make-believe magical world. Most people won't be able to co-parent, but what they will be able to do is parallel parent. And parallel parent is a concept in that um, when my children are with me, these are my rules, and these are how this is how I'm going to raise the kid, right? And when their children are with their father, they have a set of rules to follow. And there's not necessarily... Um, consultation that happens. So I have very low contact with my ex-husband. That's my preference. Um, we don't, we might agree on where our children goes to school, um, but we are not going to say like, you know, child one XYZ is going to happen with them and child two XYZ is going to happen with them. Like that's not what we have. And so I keep very, 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 very low contact with my um, ex-husband. Um, I only communicate through text messages if, if and when it's necessary. And my children can call their father whenever they want. 
Um, they can, you know, take the computer and call their dad and their dad can call them whenever they want. Um, and, and that's how things work for me. Um, I really caution people um, to not, sometimes when you're parenting, um, it's not that much that needs to be discussed really, but that the children are used as a way to get to the other spouse. And so I really encourage low contact. Um, if it's peaceful, if it's cordial, if you're able to move um, on and have, you know, and, and have a co-parenting situation that's healthy, by all means do it. For me, it's not, um, it's not what I want. I want very, very low contact. And you also have to think like, if you want to move on, if you want to move on, if you want another spouse, um, the type of communication and relationship that you have with your ex-spouse can influence your new marriage. And so if you keep it very low contact, there's so much um, less you have to deal with. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it does make the moving, the moving on process easier, right? If, cause then you start to detach and start to look forward to a, a new beginning with someone else. Right. Yeah. And I just, again, like depending on, there's so many different reasons for divorce, but I will give you an example. Um, if 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 your uh, ex-spouse has a personality disorder, right? Let's just say like he has narcissistic personality disorder. Um, narcissists don't make great parents, you know? And so a lot of times they're not necessarily seeking the best interest of the child in their contact with you. What they're seeking now is some sort of, um, they're seeking to get something from you emotionally, whether it's attention, whether it's to annoy you further and they feel happy that they annoyed you. So there's different reasons why um, people can choose to co-parent or parallel parent or, or whatever. Um, and so, like I said, we, we're sold on this ideal that we should co-parent most situations co-parenting is just not possible. People move their separate ways. They raise their kids when they have their kids, depending on who has custody or for how long of a period of time they have this kid or that kid. And um, it's not a discussion, oh, I'm gonna feed the kids oatmeal for breakfast. Are you okay with that? You know, it's not a discussion. How does How does that then impact the kids? Because on the one hand, they for example one parent could be total different views on parenting and the other one could be totally different and then the the child is if they let's say one week with one parent and the other week with the other parent if the parent are living in the same the parents are living in the same town for example i i'm just trying to think how that would be for the for the child involved yeah, and it's so, okay, so it really depends on what your custodial situation is, right? So I have my children full-time, and they're, they see their dad over the summer and uh, during a break during the year. And so that's very different from if they lived with their dad half of the time. Um, and so, again, everybody's going to have to look at their own personal situation. If they're not seeing their dad regularly, um, and he's with me most of the time, um, my, I mean, my children are with me most of the time, then 
you know, that influences is so much less. But if you have, let's say, shared custody where 50% of the time they're with mom and 50% of the time they're with dad, um, that is, is more difficult for the children in that if the rules are very different in the households, um, that's a lot. I don't have that situation. I can't speak to that. I do have thoughts on it, which I'm not going to share here. Um, but um, everybody has to look at their situation, seek consultation, get advice, talk to professionals, and make the best decision for their child post-divorce. Yeah, definitely. Summed it up uh, perfectly, mashallah. Is there any final words of advice that you'd like to give for, um, you know, not only not only sisters going through this, but even sisters getting married, like, you know, before marriage, during the marriage, early years, how to how to interact, how to deal with it? You know, that's a really loaded question. Um, <laughs> Super loaded, super loaded. Um, I will say this. If you're not married and you're seeking marriage, um, you should you should do as much as you can to really refine your character and learn about yourself and also learn about what you want and what you don't want. The other thing is that if you're in the engagement period or you have somebody that you know you're intended to or you're courting in some capacity, it's really important to ask the right questions and to prioritize the things that make up your core value, making sure that that other person has it. Um, and if they don't have it, realize that this will be an issue of contention in the marriage. And so you're, you should know that upfront. Um, also do due diligence and by due diligence, I mean, not just asking questions where the person gives you a perfect answer every time, but, you know, you speak to people in their community about them, about their character. You really kind of want to know, um, is this person who's, who, like, are they who they say they are? Um, how are they in different scenarios? Like, um, if this person's really involved in the masjid, like if they're part of the board, how were they when there was a conflict um, on the board? Were they a problem solver? Were they a problem maker? Um, how are they when, when they're upset? Um, if you talk to people, about them, like I really want to cautious, caution, especially women. When women have a brother that they're interested in, right? And they talk to another brother to get like consultation about them. And that brother is that their friend. A lot of times, like when men get together, they talk about everything but themselves. They talk about sports. They talk about like hiking. They talk about, you know, cars they don't talk about themselves and a lot of times when women get together they talk about themselves so women have a tendency to know other women better than men do other men and so mm -hmm. a brother might say like yeah he's such a great brother like he's always in the masjid i always see him at fajr but he might not know that this brother has anger issues and mm -hmm. so it's really important to try to talk to people that have interacted with that person in various different settings because oftentimes brothers have positive things to say about that that other brother, unless they're like completely like off the deep end. Uh, whereas it's a little bit different with sisters who like know each other very well and we discuss our intimate details with each other uh, quite openly. Um, when you're married, it's important to know that there's different phases of marriage, right? And it's cyclical, right? 
now we're close and then we kind of drift apart and then we get close again. This is part of a normal, healthy marriage. You know, today I feel so in love with my husband and tomorrow he's getting on my nerves. That's normal. Um, that's not, that's not abnormal. That's not, you know, abusive. Um, and so be patient through those moments, be patient through, you know, the times where you might feel far from your spouse and know that, you know, it doesn't take much to get close together again, you know, and so work on it and have open communication. And um, don't, if you want something in your marriage, if you want something from your, your spouse, communicate that, you know, like sometimes women, like they do these cutesy things and they're like, you know, they're upset and they're pouting you know, and they expect their husband to just guess and know, like, I want chocolate and roses now. You know what I mean? Instead, sometimes you might have to communicate and say, like, you know what? I really love when we go for a walk together. Or, you know, when you buy me flowers, I feel like a princess. Can you do that more often? You have to learn how to ask for what you want and to communicate your needs. Um, yeah. If you're thinking about divorce, if you think things have gone too far and now I'm thinking about divorce, you really need to weigh out the situation and make sure that you're set up in a way that um, the divorce is not going to bring about more calamity to your life than your marriage, um, especially for women, because men tend to move on quicker. If you're a woman, let's say you can't provide for yourself and you have no means of providing for yourself. Will your husband provide for you in the event of your divorce? Um, will Is what he's giving you enough for you to be comfortable? Maybe you need to wait a little bit longer. You know, maybe you need to just kind of be patient and be a little bit tolerant until you can figure out, you know, your finances, until you can figure out, you know, where I'm going to live, um, so on and so forth, how this is going to affect the children. Is this the right move for the children? Um, do I have, uh, you know, male authorities in my life that would be a positive influence for my children? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Am I in a community where, you know, they have youth support, where they have mentors? All of those things are important because if you're, especially like me, I'm raising sons. And so mm -hmm. if I don't have positive male influences for my, for my children, um, it's, it's a bit problematic. And so all those things you kind of want to project into the future and say, what is my life going to look like if I get divorced? And is it worth it? And if the answer is yes, by all means, like do what you need to do. But if it's not, you may need to just make an adjustment. You may need to seek counseling. You may need to do something to try to improve your marital situation or buy you time before you can make that decision. Um, and then for somebody that's divorced or going through a divorce, be patient with yourself. Realize that you're 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 going to fluctuate in your moods. You're going to go through different stages of grief, and all of those things are normal. Nothing's wrong with you. You need to take your time. You need to trust Allah, and you need to seek His help. And you also need to seek the help of yourself and other people around you who believe in you, who love you, and who support you. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, what a wonderful summary, Jazakallah Khair, for your for your time. Um, just to finish off, like the creme of it all, tell me three things that you learned or take away from this whole experience that you've gone through in life. Um, anything you've learned about yourself, about others, about anything like 
I think so. I think when you go through hardship, you you see who's really there for you, who really loves you. And one beautiful thing is that I realized, and you know, I always had great friends, alhamdulillah, but just having that friendship and realizing that my friends, you know, that were there for me during ease are still there for me during hardship, that is like gold, you know, that is just to have good friends is is amazing, it's healing, it's nourishing, and it's a gift from Allah. Um, I would say the second thing is that, you know, Alhamdulillah, I was able to find contentment and, and happiness when I was married, and I'm able to find contentment and happiness in my divorce. And so, um, Alhamdulillah, Allah was gentle with me, Allah was merciful with me, but, you know, there was there was good in both, and I was and I was happy in both, and um, and you know, being divorced per se, even if maybe certain people look down on it, if you do it with the right intention, if you do it for the sake of Allah, like I got married for the sake of Allah and I got divorced for the sake of Allah. If you always keep that at the end of your like at the end of your target, then what other people say is secondary to realizing that you did this with Hassan. You did this for the sake of Allah, and that's it. Um, and I would say the third thing is, you know, a little hiccup in your life is just a little hiccup in your life. There's so much more to live. So be present, enjoy every moment, even, even in the hard times, find something beautiful, find something to be grateful for, because, you know, it's possible that today is my last day on earth, right? And so if I knew that today was my last day on earth, would I want to spend it? you know, in a negative way, in a bitter way, in a complaining way? Or would I want to say like, you know what, today is hard, but alhamdulillah, you know what I mean? Today is hard, but the sky is still blue and the grass is still green. You know, good days are coming. And so I, I really uh, encourage people to be present, even in your pain, be present, feel it. And then, you know, look for the good, look for the positive and be hopeful. Wow, Jazakallah khair for that. Um, it, what's, the, what's the book called that you, you said you wrote? Sure. Um, it's, I'll show you a picture of the cover. It's on Amazon, so I'm not sure. It's not, it's not available like globally, but it is available in many different countries. But this is the cover, and it's called In the Belly of the Whale, Year 2020, Surviving Divorce, COVID-19, and Black Lives Matter. So um, I take you through the year 2020. Um, the chapters are divided by months, and um, and I talk about you know going from being married to divorce. I talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. I talk about COVID. I talk about heartbreak, um, and it's written like an open journal, really. Um, and so there's some poetry and prose in there, and um, it's pretty much like the roller coaster of emotions that I went through um, last year, year 2020, and processing all those three major things: being divorced, being black, and dealing with the COVID pandemic. Yeah, that's quite a lot to deal with, Subhanallah. Yeah. But Alhamdulillah, yeah. you know, I'm I'm so I'm so glad to see you today. You know, smiling and um, happy, like on the other side of it all. And uh, I know it's a process. You know, it will continue and. For all of us, you know, going through anything in life, it's it's a process to deal with it, to work through it and heal from it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wish you all the best. And um, 
May Allah keep you and your family happy and grant mm. you a spouse who will be the coolness of your eyes. Ameen. And um, yeah, until next time, inshallah, take care and I'll see you another time, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to head over to our Instagram page at Real Muslima Talk and join the conversation.